Here he is. Hello, mate. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you. Hello and welcome to the Hit in the Areas podcast with me, Jamie Roberts, and my co-host, Richard Kaisen. Rich, how are you, mate? All good, Jamie. How's things? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, today, mate, we're going uh, a little bit different. We've obviously interviewed a lot of footballers, uh, pro and semi-pro, and uh, you know we've had a few scouts on and um, uh, a couple of coaches. D- today, we're going to go into sort of broadcasting part of things. Um, you know, and a, a, another part of football that's that's huge. Um, and, and today we're going to, um, talk to Ollie Bayliss. Mm. Now, Ollie Bayliss is a three counties, BBC three counties journalist, commentator. Um, but he's also a huge presence on social media. So he has something like 45,000 Twitter followers. Mm. Um, and, and, and what we like to call, we, you know, we're both non-league coaches and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, what we like to call him non-league. The non-league oracle, we call him. Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, which we yeah, go to is, for more information. Yeah, this is going to be a really interesting one. Um, we know Ollie's sort of blown up over the last year. Um, he's become sort of every every non-league clubs or any every non-league staff's Go to for news. Go to for uh, there's been loads of petitions that he's backed to get the game back, and um, you know I just can't wait to tell his story, find out more about him, and uh, yeah. I'm sure the listeners will love it. Yeah, uh, we get a lot of non-league fans and coaches and players listening to this, so you know they'll be in, they'll probably they, they'll, they'll know Ollie 100. percent They would have retweeted something Ollie's ever tweeted, so um, you know it it'd be good for them to sort of know like sort of why he loves non-league. Um, yeah. His background, um, his commentary, you know, always interested to sort of know that part of the game and, and, and what it's like to commentate on professional football matches and stuff like that to, to uh, thousands of listeners. Um, you know, he's got his own radio show as well, which we'll, we'll talk to him about. So yeah, let, let's, um, let's have a chat with Ollie Bayless. Yeah, let's go. Hello, Ollie Bayliss. Thank you for coming on and uh, having a chat with us. Uh, we've got lots of things to talk to you about and yourself. Um, Big Rich is with me as usual. Um, Evening, Ollie. How's it going, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. Pleasure to be on, chaps. I've, I've listened to the first few pods you've done and been really, really interesting. I'm feeling thanks. a little bit apprehensive about being as interesting as some of the <laughs> really good people i'm not sure i'm that exciting no 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 honestly not so ollie the reason we got you on um is obviously we both work in non-league um and uh to us you're mr non-league in a way uh every bit of information we need to know comes through you so we've got a management group um and if <laughs> if we need to know something and someone puts that in the group, I'll go, whoa, 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 Ollie ain't tweeted it yet. So <laughs> it's not it's not the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, we, we just want to chat to you about, you know, how it's got to, you know, 40,000 followers on Twitter. I mean, that's ridiculous. 
um you know and 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 why you started in non-league and 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 everything that you're doing right now yeah i mean it's she said this it's, it's a weird kind of pressure but yeah you're not the first person to have said oh we you know we wait until you say it and then we believe <laughs> you know i i could make it all sorts of stuff and you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it, wouldn't last, it wouldn't last long. I think people were cutting on pretty quick. But you know, you, you, grassroots football is only allowed to start if you've got a dog and goal, for example. You know, I could just just make <laughs> yeah. all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's been a weird year, hasn't it? I mean, I've been mm. doing I've been doing kind of grassroots and, and non-league stuff for I don't know four, three, four years, something like that. In terms of covering it as a as a journalist and doing my non-league show, but I think over the last year because the way that COVID's gone and the, the kind of stop-start nature of, of the season, I think it's uh, people have been just looking for people that have got a bit of information or a bit of information to share. And I think a lot of time I'm not I'm not sharing anything that isn't already out there. In a lot of cases, it's just finding it. And maybe I've got more time on my hands, or I'm, I'm enough of a nerd to look through the kind of government guidance and find it and try and just share it and uh, break it down a little bit and try and make it as simple as possible. Um, so I think that's that's probably partly where it's where it's come from over the last year or so but it's been great I've, I've met all sorts of people um it's really kind of flattering that that many people are interested in what i've got to say even though it's not always good news at the moment but things are all in the right direction so ollie um let's sort of take it back to the beginning um you went to uni um i'm i'm guessing that, that you did journalism something like that no, no I'm completely wrong. <laughs> fraud. Um, I, I went to uni and I studied history for four years. Um, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I did history because it was sort of my least worst subject at school. Quite liked history. Um, I think there was about seven hours teaching a week um, doing history at uni. So I thought, oh, that sounds good. I can do that. I can do seven hours. Um, and my flatmate dragged me along to the student radio induction day. We were both quite into listening to radio, kind of podcasts and like silly stuff, not not um, not journalism, not sport, not news, nothing like that. Um, and we thought, well, wouldn't it be brilliant if we could just do like a little two-hour radio show every week on, on radio, on street radio, it'd be brilliant. Um, so we sort of demoed that, learned how to do that, tried that, and really, really enjoyed that. And sort of over the next three and a half years, I got sucked into doing more and more student radio, all sorts of things from live events to, to sort of partly running the station in my final year. Um, did our little show and ended up winning a couple of awards for that little show and finished uni and no one really tells you when you do a history degree that there isn't a job at the end of that that kind of, <laughs> you know if you study if you study pharmacy it's quite an obvious kind of career trajectory and what things you can do um so I thought well I don't really want to go and work in a museum I don't really want to do a PhD so maybe I'll try this radio thing um and I wanted to be a presenter I sent sort of demos here there and everywhere and didn't get anywhere at all with that that was really hard work and you know got met, met a few people things like that but didn't that didn't really go anywhere so just tried to get work experience wherever I could and um, try and get my foot in the door and got a couple of shifts here and there at Mix 96 which is the, the local commercial station yep. in in Aylesbury which sadly no longer exists actually as of this year but um, I used to be the the mix monster so for 10 pounds an hour actually for 12 pounds an hour I got to wear the the big um, Mix 96 monster mascot suit. It was £10 an hour if you didn't wear the suit, but you were like part of the event, handing out balloons, stuff like that. But if you really wanted to earn the big bucks, it was £12 an hour to wear the mascot <laughs> I don't think it had been washed since the station began in, in I think, the early 90s. And it 
it smelled like you got inside a pair of old goalie gloves. Yeah. That kind of like sweaty <laughs> smell, never been washed. But, you know, it was worth the £12 an hour. Um, so I did that. I did work experience kind of here, there and everywhere. Luckily, got a bit of work experience at places like like Radio 2, Radio 4. Um, and after about a year and a half of doing that, I got a four-week work experience placement at BBC Three Counties Radio. And luckily, I think a couple of people left at the point I was there and I obviously didn't offend enough people to, you know, get kicked out. And they, they sort of offered me a couple of shifts here and there after that. And sort of made that stick really um and it's a bit of a bit of a slog of an industry to get into you sort of do like a bit of shift work and then you, you do sort of part-time work and then eventually you get a you know like a three-month contract that you don't know where you are for three months but you're working full-time for a bit and um I mean that's where I am now sort of eight nine years on but you know I started as a producer I'm now a journalist but I'm, I've never been a trained journalist I've been lucky enough to kind of learn it as I go and yeah training here and there um and sort of over the last four or five years, I've started moving over a little bit, doing a little bit more sport, a bit of football commentary. Lucky enough, three years ago, that they were stupid enough to give me my own show about non-league football, which is something I've always been passionate about, but the two haven't really married up until that point. So about three, four years ago, started doing the show and then started doing more stuff on social media around the show. And it's kind of evolved from there, really, to, to this point. On that non-league show, are you, are you in charge of getting your own guests on? Yeah, um, yeah, I, I do it all if I'm honest, and partly that's because. Uh, <laughs> Cheers for the invite, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, I've I've certainly spoken to your chairman before um, uh, a couple of times. Um, we, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's evolved and it's changed a, a few times over over the last couple of years. Where it is now, now it's it's just me. Um, it's I present it, I book guests. I'm I'm literally the only person in the building when it goes out on a Sunday I'm, I'm calling up my own guests during a song <laughs> hoping they pick up because if they don't I've got no one to talk to it's it's uh, I've, local radio is brilliant for that because you, you do everything you know you, you literally if you want to do something you you go and do it you you make it happen it's um it's brilliant for that but I mean yeah it's also you know when you're presenting a live mostly speech program and you're the only person in the building and oh trying to get a guest that you hope is going to answer the phone at the right time i mean as we found with with doing this podcast you know, <laughs> when you've got folks like me who, who can't work uh, <laughs> who can't work a zoom link it's so you get hold of your guest um so yeah at times that can be that can be um a little bit scary but it's great fun and, and yeah there's absolute hotbed of non-league football clubs across beds hearts and bucks so that's the patch we cover I think we're, we're something like 10 or 11% of the country's non-league football is really? in bed. It's astonishing. Wow. Uh, and that, I mean, to be fair, that's that's the reason why we haven't covered Trin Corinthians that much. Because when you, <laughs> you know, when you're going down from step one down to, to step seven, yeah. you know, sort of, you're, you're talking about 130 clubs. It is, it is massive. So, uh, you know, we, I certainly have spoken to and done quite a lot on the Spartan Division 2, but there are a lot of clubs I haven't spoken to just because there are so many clubs going down to that level. But it means there's always a brilliant story. There's always, yeah. you know, there's always stuff going on. There's always teams having a great cup run. You know, FA Vars is always the story in the FA Vars because there's always yeah. one of those teams that will get through to the last eight because mm. there's just so many of them. Same with the FA mm. Cup, um, which is brilliant. It means I've learned more and more about the clubs across the patch. You know, teams like like Wormley Rovers, which are Hertfordshire side, but miles away from where I live. Such a such a big patch, so diverse. You know, Chesham, places like that. Um, yeah. It's been brilliant meeting, you know, meeting the characters and, and the managers, as you as you guys know, it's it's full of brilliant characters, and they 
you know they don't go far they they leave one club but they pop up again at mm. another club up the road you know it's it's all i mean it's local football isn't it? so no one's yeah. traveling miles to play it in yeah. out of the patch they always pop up at a different club you know further down the line um, that's probably so- why it's a probably why it's a bit pointless to announce new management teams on your show because, <laughs> <laughs> because it happens like every week and it's always the same, like same people going to different clubs and stuff like that so yeah, yeah. Definitely. I, mean, I, I mean you guys are slightly the exception there's, there's not been as many in the last couple of years because we haven't had a proper season there's been yeah. I don't think managers have, have had a chance to do well enough to get poached or bad enough to get sacked a lot of the time with you know especially this season you've Teams only played eight, nine games, so you expect quite a lot of management teams to roll over to next season because they've not really had a chance for it to go wrong, and more mm. for it to go so right that they end up somewhere else. I don't know if yeah. you guys found that. Well, the past few, well, the past week or so, there's actually been quite a few changes locally. Um, mm. Whether people have just given up because they can't be bothered with it, yeah, yeah circumstances, job or... jobs, stuff like that. I don't know, but you know, there's, I'm not going to name some names because i don't know if it's public knowledge but you know someone very close to us that, that have changed management uh <laughs> so um yeah no we, we're hearing it all the time at the moment and a lot of people just chip chopping and changing um i think the you know the lsbfc head coach has gone over to winslow now and you know stuff like that yeah. so and and I, you know i believe the, the management team from Winslow are going into the ADL, uh, Ellsbury Districtly. And um, yeah, so at the moment, there's actually a few changes, but whether that's just because they're just disillusioned with the whole season, disillusioned with non-league football or whatever, I don't know. We're chomping at the bit. Um, and, and, you know, tomorrow night we've got a team meeting virtually. Um and, and just to let them know what's going on. So luckily we received the news today that we are getting a cup, uh, which you broke. <laughs> Thank you for breaking that news. Um, and, you know, now we know what we're going to be doing on April 10th when, when we get when we get back to it. On the April 10th thing, actually, I did want to talk to you about this. Is the day later, Do is that when things start to change with regards to restrictions? So is it April the 11th that it starts I to think change? It, yeah, oh, it's no, no earlier than the 12th is when it goes oh, sorry. To, into step two, which is not non-league step two, it's government step two. It's, it's so confusing. <laughs> so the government have helpfully called it step one to four, which when you're talking about football doesn't really help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, we go from, yeah, we go from step one to step two on, I think it's April the 12th if things go to plan. Sure. Um, so, but what we we think we understand, although the FA still haven't kind of published everything properly, is is no fans, no spectators at, at any level of football until that point. So there's, a, I think, a pretty high chance that that April the 10th first game will be totally behind closed doors. Um, yeah. And how that works when, I mean, you guys are... We're classed as a ground. We're classed as an enclosed space. Mm. So, yeah, it's not plastered as like a... Like a although... Pitch. <laughs> there is a public footpath literally the other side of the fence <laughs> yeah so people could stand there effectively <laughs> but if you look um, at like Clinton Park who, you know that's a yeah. club at seven I mean if I'm walking my dog around that park am I not allowed to glance over at the football match <laughs> yeah, 
if you know little, little old Doris who always walks her dog in that park and hasn't read the FA guidance on <laughs> it's quite understandable if she happens to stop for a breather on the park bench is she is she breaking the rules of the club breaking the rules of the club got to tell her to move on it's when you get to football at that level I, I don't really know how it's fair to expect clubs to police spectators yeah. in fact because it's especially when it isn't enclosed anyone can walk by and, and watch it i mean it's i imagine you guys are like me if you if you're walking in a park anywhere and there's a game of football happening oh i watch it watch yeah. it because <laughs> you just do um so how i don't really understand how that's going to work or how they're going to be able to police that in any kind of sensible way it, um, it sounds like it kind of, yeah so it kind of feels like they have no idea at the top so it's like, oh, they probably think, oh, everything's like cordoned off or whatever, you know, when there's a game on. Maybe they just have no idea at the top of the, what, I suppose, the DCMS, what goes on at step seven and, and below. I don't know. You know, well, surely someone there says going, they play on park pitches. <laughs> put it this way. If you looked at the, like the inside of a supermarket, the actual floor in space, similar to a football pitch, probably, size roughly, you probably have at least 100 people in there at a time. Even if we had fans and opened it up, we'd probably only get 50 to 70 maybe, Jam. All all sort of spaced out. So it is just baffling as to the reasoning. Open space, not standing anywhere near each other. I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. Yeah. I, I can understand the sort of changing rooms and stuff like that for the time being um and, and hopefully we'll you know g- get some sort of change from 12 onwards on that um i i thought the sort of rule of six worked quite well they were quite spaced out and stuff like that when they were getting changed so in these change rooms you know some are big some are quite small which i get which i get but then again that's down to the club and their mm. risk assessments and stuff like that um but yeah so obviously uh, going back to our point, you know, obviously we've got a cup and we're, we're, we're going, getting back to it and absolutely jumping at the bit to get back playing because, it, like I said to someone today in the group, I said, like, just because there's no fans doesn't mean we shouldn't play because it's it's about the players at the end of the day. And, and if we're one of these clubs that go, we're not going to play, we'll wait until next year, what stops our players going well, I'll go and play somewhere that wants to play football and stuff like that, you know, or, you know, I need to play football because I'm struggling. I need to get out of the house. I need to see teammates and stuff like that. You know, I probably don't want to come see me at training because <laughs> I tend to have a go a lot. But um, yeah, so I think, I, yeah, I can completely understand football coming back as early as it is. Um, and your friend, Mr. Robbie Savage, uh, <laughs> uh, obviously, was a was an advocate to to get it back as soon as possible with the DCMS. Um, yeah, moving he, on to that, yeah, go yeah. on. Sorry, carry yeah, carry on. I was gonna, I was, I was just gonna say, I I think he, I think he's been really good at, at championing at grassroots football. Actually, he he's managed to ask questions of politicians that I don't think anyone else has. Certainly, I haven't. Um, and yeah, I I I I know he's he's not everyone's. Um, you know, he's not everyone's cup of tea. And I think that's probably part of, of why he's used so often on, you know, radio and TV. But yeah. he, um, 
I, I genuinely think he's somebody that, that does care about grassroots football. He's, he's grown up watching grassroots football. He coaches a youth team. He's, he's played a bit non-league. I think he, um, I, I think he's worked really well, actually, at, at trying to campaign and make sure that, you know, the government are aware of some of the issues. Because as you guys said, I, I don't think they know what goes on in an average sort of step seven team. I, I think Oliver Dowden today in, in Parliament was asked about non-league finals day and why they've waited a year to play it and then have arranged last year's the week before fans are back, you know, and whether they can have fans back. I, I'm pretty certain it's the first time he's really been aware of this thing called the FA Vars. If we're being honest, I might be wrong. And, you know, if I yeah. am, I don't think they're... And to be fair, they're dealing with a lot... I don't know the first thing about a lot of other sports. You know, you can't yeah. expect to know everything. Um but I think Robbie Savage has been been excellent for that um, mm. and championing non-league football. He did a countdown, didn't he, every day? <laughs> he tweeted them every day, wasn't it? <laughs> Oliver Dowden, day one, Oliver Dowden, day two, that type of thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it must have been in his mentions a lot. Um, Ollie, why mm. non-league? Where does that non-league passion come from? Um, it comes from it comes from Aylesbury, if I'm honest. So it comes from Growing up, I'm 30, I was trying to remember now, 31, 32 this year. Um, growing up in Aylesbury, we didn't have, there wasn't like a Premier League or even a league side in Buckinghamshire. Um, you know, now we've got MK Dons and Wickham, but I mean, MK Dons didn't exist there. Well, whatever. Um, Wickham were, you know, a non-league team. Uh, and so Aylesbury United was kind of the, the logical team to, to go and watch. And, you know, I sported Arsenal on match today and stuff. But in terms of watching local football, I know, two Spurs fans. Um <laughs> Uh, Aylesbury United, it made sense. It was, you know, 10 minutes away from where I live. So my dad, who I think got into watching Aylesbury United sort of three or four years, I think, before before I did or before I was born. You know, he's not a li- like a lifelong Aylesbury fan, but um, he used to take me a lot on there. And that was it was back in the day when they had a season in the, the conference and they're playing in the sort of second tier of non-league football, getting crowds of maybe a thousand, something like that. And that... Yeah. Non-league I mean, it's brilliant at any any level, any scale. But when it it really does feel like the town are getting behind a team, you know, and a team of that size, um, and the atmosphere is fantastic, and it's everybody's, you know, you you see people from from school, and my dad would see people that he knew, you know, it feels like a real community, mm-hmm. and it feels like everyone's kind of involved, and you know, with non league football, if you if you want to volunteer or do a bit bits and pieces, and you know the clubs always get involved in that as well. Um, I, yeah, and that that kind of sucked me up really. Um, and I think ever since then, I've I've loved and been just a big fan of, of watching non-league football. Um, and then Aylesbury have, have moved around a bit and played in a few different grounds, mm. and and I've enjoyed sort of watching other teams as well locally and and getting out and watching. You know, teams teams like Winslow and teams like you know Risborough, things like that. But uh, you know, some of the other local sides we've we've yeah. got around. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, luckily, just been able to sort of combine the the love of that and and the work side of things in the last sort of few years. But non-league fan long before that. I I think it's for me, it's it's a bit like for me, it's a bit like people that that like music or. Beer. This is a really sort of crude analogy, but there's people who like music, and, and I'm probably one of them, really, that is quite happy with kind of middle-of-the-road music, doesn't spend a whole life sort of delving into music and different genres and things like that. People are quite happy to listen to Adele and Red Hot Chili Peppers and, and kind of stuff that is main. And then you've got people that love, like, you know, unsigned and under-the-radar yeah. bands going out and trying to discover, 
non-league's a little bit like that. It's a little bit like craft beer, isn't it? As opposed to like, you know, it's <laughs> all these stories and all these clubs and, and kind of it's a way of enjoying the sport, but enjoying it in a way that isn't oversaturated and isn't thrown in your face 24-7 and isn't kind of wall-to-wall coverage. It's it's just a lot more real. I think it's probably closer yeah. to the experience people enjoyed of watching football in the 80s and 90s, you know, and probably before that way. You, you can chat to players afterwards in the bar and, you, you know, can have a word with the manager and the chairman. Um, you know, top-level football is just, it's really sterile, isn't it, if we're, if we're honest? And clearly it's a fantastic product and a brilliant standard of football at the, the top level of, of the English game. But I think there's some brilliant entertainment and brilliant stories and brilliant characters in, in non-league football. Um, I agree. Uh, you know, we're the envy of the world in this country. I think it's something we're not, that isn't celebrated enough that we've got this outrageous pyramid of football yeah. where at Trin Corinthians, if you win enough games, you could be playing in the Premier League, you know, facilities aside and ground gradings, but it's all joined up and that, that just, that doesn't exist. You can't go down to the 11th tier mm. of, of German or French football in that way. It doesn't, it doesn't work. I think, it's something that needs to be protected. People would need to be a little bit more aware of that. We have this, you know, outrageous football ladder that goes all the way down to sort of, you know, Saturday County level, you know? Yeah. And it's, I don't think people are necessarily always aware of that. I don't think it's something that, that people champion enough. So how do you turn all of that into becoming the non-league Oracle <laughs> with 41,000 followers, um, and just this huge following and people using you as their non-league Bible? That's a good question. Um, I, don't, I don't know, because I don't really know why people. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, as I said, I've, I've, I've been covering it for, for a good few years on social media. And I think this year, especially, people have just been desperate for bits of information it's been so stop start and over like over the summer where we just didn't know when it was coming back we didn't know how it was going to work um and i've i've i think i personally i found it really interesting as difficult as it was last march this idea that football exists in such a regimental way and fixtures have to be played saturday tuesday saturday tuesday we know it works seasons are finished at the end of may there's promotions there's relegations and then suddenly march all of that had to stop and suddenly you've got this sort of unsolvable riddle of like what on earth do you do with all these unfinished cups unfinished leagues these teams that can't play that can't train you know how do we get back to some sort of normality when the whole rhythm the whole structure of football has just been thrown up in the air so i found that really interesting to to follow as a story of like you know what on earth are the football association going to do with these three quarters finished leagues and, and what on earth the efl gonna do and um and i think the fact that i'm a news journalist first and foremost maybe meant I could kind of apply that methodology to it or that side of it and, and try and kind of turn the same sort of scrutiny we would do on at work on you know on councils and planning permission stories or, or government you know different government departments and things like that and you, you can kind of apply most of that to the football and how you know leagues work in quite a similar way to to councils and things like that you know you, if you kind of apply that methodology and that way of reporting things to to football it seems to be that you can a kind of try and simplify and try and highlight what's going on and, and b i think people are quite receptive to people reporting news in quite a 
what I try and do is quite a straightforward way, quite a balanced way, and and try and largely keep my own personality out of it, or try and keep personal viewpoints out of it, because I think people can make up their own minds what they think. I think people don't. Maybe they do care. I don't know. I don't think people necessarily care what I actually think about it. What they want to know is what's happening. I think most important is what's happening. You know, and then let them make up their own mind what yeah. they feel. Um, I completely agree with that. When we, it's literally you reporting on it. Okay, so whether you're getting that information from the league itself or wherever it is, you're literally just passing on the information to everyone. Okay, so there's there's leagues in the Midlands that want to know what's going on in the Southwest because it affects them as well because they're at the same level of football. So they're like, how come they've got a cut and we haven't? So (laughs) and you probably get a lot of people going, oh, Ollie, but why haven't we got a cup? So that's where you sort of have to step back and go, look, I don't make the rules here. (laughs) I'm just reporting it. (laughs) Um, And and to be honest, and I've never really seen many replies to you that have been like, you know, like having a go at you. They're literally just having a go at the, the source of it or where it's come from. So, I mean, you would know more than me. You've got 41,000 followers. So you obviously get a lot more mentions than I do. But, um, I mean, it clearly shows with 41,000 followers that non-league football is very, very important in the UK. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think what this last year has shown is is how many people care about it's actually it's not only non-league it's grassroots as well and that's yeah yeah sorry yeah right because i i i think i thought you know you report on on what's happening in non-league and then you know grassroots is kind of the it's kind of secondary to that and people won't care about it as much but it's important to, to cover what's happening at you know step seven and below and in the county leagues and something actually what you realize is of course there is there's hundreds of thousands of people playing saturday football playing indoor football playing you know youth football women's football. it's mm. suddenly you realize it's and it, it totals far more than people that are following clubs in, you know, League One, League Two, the Championship. You know, there are, there are more people out there playing football and watching football at a grassroots level than, than will go out and watch football in the Premier League every week. There's, you know, there is hundreds of thousands of people that it affects. And I think, I, I don't think the media have been particularly quick to realise that or have realised that over the years. And I think what's difficult is when you, when you cover the Premier League and you report on a story, you report on a on a team you know if you're, if you're covering a, a transfer for Fulham you, you know you've got a fan base at Fulham who are going to care about that now you can't cover transfers at Trin Corinthians or Winslow and expect that number of people to, to care about it because they they individually wow. with all respect, don't have hundreds of thousands of fans <laughs> it's but... probably followers of us that don't care <laughs> If you want the inside scoop on transfers at Trin Corinthians I mean, just give me a call mate just give yeah. me a call <laughs> But, but hundreds of thousands of people do care about the guidance and when they're allowed to play and what's happening with the rules extending the season and all that kind of stuff that actually means that there are a lot of people that really care about that. You know, same with the National League. Club in National League North and South might have, you know, a few thousand, a few, few thousand supporters. But when you add them all up, they all care about when the league finishes or the league carries on. If, if you're covering that story, suddenly there is a lot of people that care about that. Mm. Um you know, so broadly, there are 
hundreds of thousands of people that care about non-league and, and grassroots football. And it just so happens that over the last year or so, most of the stories have affected them all. And you're absolutely right in what you're saying about what leagues are doing in the southwest. People care about in the Midlands because they're looking at that and going, well, if they can do that, can we do that? Yeah. Can we not? Whereas previously, they wouldn't necessarily have, have had reason to care about what those leagues are doing. Um, so maybe, I mean, hopefully when we get back to some sort of normality, you know, they can go back to not worrying about what's happening in the southwest again. But no, yeah. it matters to everybody, I think. Yeah, well, you say, I, I don't know, you say that. I mean, I'm always quite interested when, a, when, when one of your tweets pops up about, say, say recently with these cups, okay? I think you, t- you tweeted something the other day and I was like, I've never even heard of that league. And it's like the same step. So it, you kind of say that and you go, oh, that's quite interesting. I didn't know there was that league in that area and stuff like that. Um, so also the one thing I wanted, to, do you think the likes of Twitter and Instagram and Facebook has has popularised non-league football. So now you've got all these clubs that got their own Twitter accounts. They try and make it as professional or as funny or as whatever as possible. I mean, Trin Corinthians got, what, we've got 800 followers, maybe 700 followers, something like that. That's quite, I mean, that's quite good for just like a little town in Hertfordshire that it's not even the biggest, it's the second biggest club in, in Trin. Like, you know, so... Do you, do you think that social media has been brilliant for non-league football? Because no one's going to know about any of the results or scorers in live time. And most clubs will do a live tweet of match day and stuff like that about live scores. Um, and there's great apps out there like Goal Shouter and stuff like that. And, um, you know, for, for, for live updates straight on your phone for non-league. But do, do you think Twitter especially has blown up non-league football? Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think Twitter is, you know, it's not for everyone. And I think if I wasn't a journalist or a football fan, I don't think it's necessarily a platform I'd be that worried about. But I think, yeah, I think it's brilliant for football. I think there is, you know, a large percentage of the football community is on there. As you said, clubs, it's where you go. You know, my, my dad doesn't have a Twitter account, but he will use it to check football scores because it's the best and quickest way of getting football scores, especially local non-league you know where you know previously you'd have to wait for the league websites to update themselves about four hours after results have finished in some cases or you know going back further than that you wait for the the paper you wait for cfax to you guys are probably too young for cfax no <laughs> no i'm older than you ollie. Ollie. <laughs> <laughs> you wait to see you know you'd wait for cfax to um you know page whatever it was 624 the ryman league to come mm. around you know twitter is brilliant for and it means that clubs can and there's been some brilliant examples of clubs that have, you know, self-promoted themselves well beyond the level that they're at. You know, the Sunday league teams with with tens of thousands of followers. And it means that clubs can can get audiences, doesn't it? It means that they can mm-hmm. they can tell the local community what's going on. And I, I think if you weren't that bothered about football or maybe, I don't know, you're a... Uh, you know, you're a Chelsea fan, but you live in, in Leighton Buzzard. You think, oh, I'll follow Leighton Town because why not, you know, see what's going on. And then suddenly you realise, you know, oh, wow, they're having a big, you know, FA Vars run. And, oh, yeah. you know, that game's... And you find out that there's a game on Saturday and that there's going to be hundreds of people and you, you fancy going along to it. I think a lot of people engage in non-league in that way, where they're, they're casual fans. They want to know how their local town is doing every now and then. They want to know about big games. And it's a great way of just trying to grab those people and pull them into watching a team every now and then. And then maybe they might just come back the next Saturday and, you know, they get sucked into it. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I think it's been a brilliant platform for for sharing news as well and across non-league. And I think it's the last year, if we've had anything there's been any benefits i think the the kind of strength of that football community you know think of like the the let fans in campaign or like the national league with like the promote two things like that um you know there's a position at the moment to try and get the, the fa vars and fa trophy moved it's a way of bringing together those groups of fans and actually i think making their voice heard you know their, their voices are being heard you know that mm. question about the fa vars fund was raised in parliament you know letters were written and mps got involved about promoting two clubs from the National League North and South last season or let fans in. You know, that stuff happens quite organically, but without Twitter and without social media, I think, don't think that would have happened and I don't think things would have changed. When when you sort of got involved in non-league three or four years ago with your show, um, would you have envisaged that, like, today you would have that many people following you? No, I don't think so. I still don't quite know why. I still don't quite know why they do. Um, and I imagine, I imagine once we're all back playing football, they'll all go away again. But for, for now, they want to know. Basically, they're all just waiting for me to say, you're allowed to play football, go and play football, go and enjoy yourself. And then at that point, it's like, right, well. So done. come the 17th of June, you're expecting a mass unfollow. No, no, you know what it would be? It would be like, it would be like everyone's back at football, then it gets to the summer and like someone will randomly tweet you going, Ollie, what's going on at Rancorn? And stuff like that. <laughs> so, just so it completely random and you'll be like, well, I don't know. <laughs> or so, something, I don't know why I came up with Runcorn. I think no, why not? talking about old school Ellsby United and stuff like mm. that. Wickham used to play Runcorn in the conference. Can I say, over, over, you know, over the last year, you personally on Twitter have blown up. You've become the main source of news. Um, I think most people know you as this, as this like Twitter oracle and but where do you want to go? So from here, where do you see your sort of career path going? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I think I I love what I do at the moment, which is a I, I and I kind of think, given the year we've had, I I think if people are lucky enough to have employment and have jobs at the moment, then they should be very grateful for that. So I am very grateful for that. I. I love that I've got a job in radio, which is something I love, and I get time to do my own little radio show about non-league football and to cover that and and time in my day to stick stuff on Twitter. You know, I couldn't have done what I've done on social media if I was, you know, an A&E nurse, because, for example, you mm. can't, you know, someone comes in with one leg hanging off and you've got, hang on a minute, I've just got to, um, you know... <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm, I'm... Oh, hold on, I've just got a t- I've just got a tweet about the combined counties league. Hold on a minute. Yeah. I know you're having a heart attack, but hang on. The Essex Senior League are announcing plans to stream their subsidiary cups. You, you couldn't do that if I was if I was a teacher or if you know I couldn't do that. So I'm you know that isn't it's not my job to put stuff on social media it's, it's part of my job to cover football but I can I could do that without social media you know it's, it's not actually part of my job but it, it links towards my job and it helps me meet guests and it you know it all links back together helps me find mm. stories and things like that but it's not I'm very lucky that I have a job that allows me to do that because I really enjoy that side of it um, but in effectively not answering your question in any way at all going forward I would I would love there to be more of a platform for non-league football whether that be you know there, there have been previously national shows that, that have covered non-league football and they've gone away for whatever reason I think 
there's much more that could be done in terms of televising games at all sorts of levels. And I think that I think it's getting that way, actually. I think this year has shown how many clubs are able to stream their own games to a good standard. I don't think we're that far away from having a, you know, some sort of highlight show for step three and four where, you know, clubs are, are told that they have to film their games as part of their, their membership of the league and then that gets sold on to somebody else with TV rights and, and money comes back to clubs. I mean, most clubs have got, you, you guys are probably not the call, the, the cameras that scan around and follow the video. Yeah, yeah. That's my, that's that's my, my, I'd love one. Just yeah. on that, Ollie, do, do you think that's a real fine line in terms of like putting those sort of level of games from sort of step three down to step seven? If you start streaming them, I know you, do you not lose the sort of fan element going to that game and watching it in person? Because there's nothing better than watching the game live. Mm. Yeah, there's, a, there's difficult conversations that are going to have to happen over whether we we go back to the 3pm blackout or not, because this season it's it's been waved across, I think across all of Europe, where obviously, you know, I follow in the Football League and the National League clubs have been able to stream those three o'clock games and whether we, whether we keep that going forward or whether we don't, I don't know, because it's designed to protect non-league football, really, and, you know, get people out watching actual games of football rather than sitting at home and watching Man United at three o'clock. Mm. But, it's produced a way of clubs streaming their own games and making extra revenue. You know, if you're a Hereford fan who doesn't live near Hereford, but likes to follow the team, you can watch those games from afar. And by doing that, you're contributing £10 to go to your club. And I don't think that'll ever replace the experience of actually going out and watching a game. The same way yeah. that you, you watch Spurs on TV, but you'd still rather be at the game watching them watch yeah. online. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know. Well, no. maybe not, maybe not tonight, but um, <laughs> but I, I don't think anyone's ever going to sit at home and watch Trin Corinthians on a stream and prefer to do that than get out and watch them on the side of the pitch. So I I don't think I don't think it's a threat to football. I think if anything, it's something that could be an extra revenue stream for non-league. I don't, I'd, I would go back to a three pm blackout. Yeah, if you, if you want. Do you know why? And it's nothing to do with watching games or anything like that. It's the traditionalist in me. Mm. So it's not knowing the scores, not, you know, say you, you got your 12.30 BT game or whatever it is. Okay. Premier League. We'll talk about Premier League. Then you've got your 3 PMs. Great. All right. And then you've got your 5.30 in the evening and they're probably going to add the 7.30 and I would have thought now, like they do across Europe. That's enough for me. <laughs> and uh, as much as I love football, and I love football. Ask my missus. She bought, I bore the tears, right? Hence why I do a podcast now about football. <laughs> um, I get bored of it now. With all due respect to Fulham and Burnley, I ain't going to sit down and watch Fulham and Burnley. And I get it. It's for, it's for Fulham and Burnley fans, effectively, and anyone else that wants to watch it. Great, because you can't go and watch it at the moment. But I would rather watch 15-minute highlights on Match of the Day in the evening because that's what I'm used to before. 3 p.m., I've got my game on a Saturday, okay? Go in the bar after. There's a 5.30 game on. We'll watch it or whatever. Then go home, have, you know, it's time with the family. In the evening, in Match of the Day, catch up with all the results from 3 o'clock. That, that's me. That's what I would be... Do you know what I mean, Rich? Like that whole... Rather than knowing everything and not bothering with Match of the Day or... Yeah. and stuff like that. I don't know, maybe we are moving into a more modern time, but for me, football is 3pm on a Saturday. Mm. And, and and checking scores on your phone, stuff like that. 
that that's that's football for me. Jets on Saturday and stuff like that. Uh, I think it's I've got off on a little rant then. <laughs> Saturdays where you, you know when when you've got five championship games missing on a Saturday because they've been moved to televise them. You know during that feels weird. Yeah, I I know it does. You do miss the days of, of five or six Premier League games at three o'clock, yeah. and, and you, then you'll have a couple of interesting results, a couple of stories from those games that keep you interested. But actually, yeah, most I think a lot of the time we realise actually how tedious some football is when, <laughs> when we're exposed to a full 90 minutes of quite a few games. You think, oh, blimey, you know, when actually, when yeah, you're right. When it's, it's packaged up into 10, 15 minutes and the nil-nil on that Saturday at three o'clock is, is four minutes the end of match of the day, it's it's a lot more enjoyable to consume it that way. <laughs> if, if we're honest, isn't it? But I yeah. I, 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 yeah, I can't, I can't see, I can't see him going back to it. I think, I think if you make a success of something like this and there's more money to be made for the TV companies yeah. to show all 10 Premier League games, I I don't know why they would go back to not showing them, if I'm honest. But I, I think it's a shame. So that Saturday three o'clock is, is something yeah. I can... Do you not think it will go down the whole streaming route? I mean, I heard Simon Jordan on Talk Sport talking about something like this. Maybe like a Netflix type of streaming from the... the well, I think more Premier League we're talking about here. So mm. do you think they could go into that type of subscription fee? Or is there not enough money to be made in that for the television companies? I don't know. You'd have thought Sky would already offer that. <laughs> the amount of money people pay for Sky, wouldn't you? We, I mean, generally we're at more and more as, as TV viewers, I think. We we expect to be able to pay for what we want and not pay for what we don't want. You know, gone are the days, I think, where, I mean, obviously some people do consume Sky in that way now, but a lot of people do now TV where it's, you know, you mm. pay for a week as and when you want it or pay for a day or a, a month. I it's a lot more logical way of watching sport is pay for a subscription to your team and not necessarily to everything else. You know, if you're a Spurs fan, really what you want is a subscription to watch all Spurs games and, and not necessarily have the option to watch all the others or as an added extra. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. It feels like it, potentially that could be the way forward, whether that works and whether mm. TV companies would prefer to keep things as they are and make more money as they are. I don't know. But as a consumer, it'd be nice to have a little bit more choice over what you watch and what you dip in and out of. Yeah, I mean, I, the only reason I don't see that is because you, we all know the sort of TV package is like a big deal for Premier League clubs. And I just mm. don't see the Premier League. I don't know, maybe. I don't know. If it goes all around the world, world you might make a hell of a lot of money from it as a football club. But I don't know. Not sure. I think it'd be interesting. I think it'd be brilliant, but don't know. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about the non-league show. I wanted to talk about the non-league show, actually. Um, so you, you started that. That's on a Sunday. BBC Three Counties. What what time, Ollie? Yeah, uh, sorry. Uh, two, two o'clock. To be fair, it's moved around so much that I'm... <laughs> um, it's two, two until four. So yeah, two hours on a... Sunday afternoon, um, which I, well, back when we did have non-league football to talk about after a Saturday, which hopefully we'll get back to, it's a, I think it's quite a nice little stop because it, you know, you can reflect on the, the day's results before it's, you know, it's the same time as like the non-league paper comes out, you know, it's that kind mm. of day after all the results, a bit of time to digest them, a bit of time to, to talk and, and look ahead to the week ahead. Um, so yeah, Sunday, two until four. So your radio stuff, do you, 
you, you do a bit of commentary as well, don't you, for free counties? I've heard you actually do a bit of commentary for free counties. So you go to the likes of, say, Wickham, Luton, Watford, yeah. maybe stuff like that. So do, do you enjoy that? Do you, I mean, I suppose that's every, you know, every football fan sort of you know, dream to go and watch football and commentate on it and talk talk mm. about it. I mean, what what do you what do you do, do you really enjoy that? Is that something that you look you would like to do at a more national level? Or yeah, I I love it. It is it's blooming hard. <laughs> if anyone's ever tried it, it's um it. It's such it's the hardest thing I've ever done in radio. Um, it's such a oh. skill. So much admiration for people that, that do it consistently and consistently sort of top of their game in you know five live talk sport and, and on TV. Um yeah, so we we as a station cover cover Watford's, MK Dons, Wickham, Luton, Stevenage, um, Boreham Wood as well. Um, um have I forgotten? <laughs> Barnet, Barnet? Um, no, 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 I haven't forgotten anyone. Um, and then obviously St Albans and Hamelin kind of going down the pyramid. No, oh, but okay. um, um, but yeah, it is. I don't. You ever watch a game of football in the way that you have to if you're commentating? It's this closest I've come to. I think probably managing or playing or really, but you know, as a fan, you watch a game, but you don't really worry about who's doing what or whether you know the opposition have, have switched fullbacks or you know which centre backs headed away a corner. As a commentator, you have to you have to be aware of exactly what's happening and what both teams are doing and how the shape is switching and you know this season when they can make five changes each, keeping track of who's coming on and, and what that means and where they're going, um, and describing that and staying across that and you get into a rhythm as a commentator of describing things that are happening that are expected. You know, so you know a player will go down the wing, you know he's going to cross the ball, it's probably going to be headed away. If it isn't, there's going to be a header on goal. When something really weird happens, like. I don't know, there's a, there's a tame back pass to a goalkeeper and it bobbles over his foot and goes, you know, something like that. That's the hardest <laughs> moments in commentary for me. And things where something just really unexpected happens and you have to try and almost catch up with what's happening and articulate what is happening and describe something that you yourself are trying to process in your own head as it's happening because it's just caught you completely by surprise. And, and commentators at the top of their game are really good at that and never really caught out by... I suppose something odd that's happened like that yeah i suppose radio commentary is even even harder than tv commentary because we can see what's going on <laughs> so like you know you're having to describe as much as you can um i, I always like radio comment commentary i love listening to say radio five live or talk sport or something like that I, I i think they describe it so brilliantly like i mean yeah, I just I absolutely love listening to the radio commentary, especially like when you're on the way to an away game or something like that. Do you know what I mean, Rich? Or on the way but, home, um, yeah. yeah, it's just just great. You just love having it on. But yeah, like I say, like you say, if it's, it's a, it sounds like a tough job, and it you're obviously it's, saying it is. <laughs> so, so much, so much of it is, especially radio comments. So much of it's in the tone, isn't it? So mm. you almost don't need to, you know you can almost have it on in the background and you know nothing has happened and then the tone of the commentator's voice will will change it you know it's based on how likely they think there is to be a goal basically is the excitement of the voice changes um and that in itself is a skill and that commentator is making a judgment as to how likely that attack is to basically end up with the ball in the net um and you as a listener are trusting that they're doing that accurately um and again that's something that can catch you off guard as a commentator when you're you know, there's, there's a move that you think 
typically it's you know when a team is i don't know two up and they're they're passing the ball around and they really don't look like they're almost interested in getting a third you know they're just in control of the game passing it around then all of a sudden you know one pass and the ball's in the back of the net and you've you know, you've barely been describing the action. You might have been talking to your co-commentator about a seagull or something. And you just get completely caught off guard. And the, the best commentators will nearly always judge that correctly and will effectively tell you what's happening just by the tone of their voice, not even the, the words that they're saying. Mm. Just on the whole sort of commentary thing, I understand it's hard, but some of them are terrible, aren't they? <laughs> if you ever watched, if you, if you ever watched Sky on the red button, some of the championship games, Jesus, how they how they've got that gig, I don't know. It's um, it's, it's not easy. I'd never be critical. There's um, there's some when you um, you know, there's sort of betting streams you can watch if you've put a bet on, but you can't if you don't. There's there's yeah, there's there's some commentators on, yeah, but. Again, it's not easy, and I expect yeah. them. Them, they're in a they're in a booth watching about the sixth game in a row in the you know Dutch second division, and they've not had the chance to, you know, and probably the same with a lot of commentators doing kind of red button and digital stuff. Actually, it'll be, you know, they, they may well be their twelfth commentary of the week. They haven't necessarily mm-hmm. had the the time to prepare for two days to really study the teams, and that's when you get yourself in trouble. If you if you don't know the twenty two players on the pitch. You can't identify them, which is not an easy thing to do, especially when you, you know, any anybody can watch Man United, Chelsea, and, and tell you most of the players on the pitch. When you're commentating on a game in League Two or in the National League or abroad, that becomes a whole different skill. And uh, yeah, I, I, it's a very tough gig. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> have, you, have, them. have you found it easier or harder without fans? Um, I think harder because you fan the fans are. They're like an extra pair of eyes. So if you, if someone puts in a tackle and you, and you think, you know, and you you instinctively think that's a bad tackle, you you have to back your own judgment, and you can't. Fans almost provide you. I mean, not that they're always necessarily a fair and balanced second pair of eyes, but the the noise of the crowd will, I think, give you, you know, penalty shouts, something like that, will kind of give you a another gauge as to how likely it is to be a penalty, how bad the tackle was, you know, how close the, the shot was to going in, things like that. Um, so from that point of view, it's really difficult. And they also give you a bit of energy as well. It's really hard when you're in, you know, rattling around in a big empty stadium. It's really hard to get excited about a game of football. It's really hard to, to kind of get enthused about it. And if you can't do that as a commentator, then everything sounds flat and you sound bored and the game sounds boring and no one wants to listen to you. Um, with a the crowd there, you just you kind of just get elevated and, and lifted along. Um, so yeah, it's been really missed. I mean, it makes it easier to get to games. It certainly makes it easier to park. There is that, yeah. <laughs> but you know, they they are bad badly missed. And you know, these games are like it's like watching an EFL trophy game, but ten times worse. You know, it's mm. just absolutely no atmosphere. Um, it's really odd. Ollie, I'm going to finish up with a few. Uh, questions that I'm going to be asking all non-league uh, sort of people and stuff like that. So, best ground you've ever visited? Oh, I or your favourite ground? Favourite ground? Sorry, non-league. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's got to be, isn't it? Um, I'm going to say Sutton United, um, which is 
Uh, right, because, hear me out, I, I just love that they've got, you know, they've got a wooden old stand. It's really kind of got really old sort of quirky bits to it. And yet you've got this really like sort of super modern 3G. It's, it's really weird like juxtaposition <laughs> between this 3G plastic artificial surface and this really old school traditional sort of wooden stands and like old school football ground. Um, I just think that's right. Yeah, I really like it. And I probably in a minority for saying, I'm not, I'm sure it's probably something like fans at London ground, but yeah, I really like Sutton's ground. Um, I mean, really locally, Amersham's is a good one. You get a nice little view out the back and mm. Amersham's a pretty little ground for it. Last, last game that me and Rich went to. Yeah. yeah. Sprat, Spratley's Meadow yeah. is, yeah, I, I like Amersham, the little clubhouse as well. When was that? It was, uh, that must have been the, what, the uh, 20th of December, maybe? What, Something what like was, that, yeah. Yeah. Just nearest game on that was in our tier that we could go to. So, <laughs> it was it uh, Amersham and... Bedford? Bedford. Of course it was, because we played them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Amersham and Bedford. Um, okay, cool. So, Amersham locally. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. That, that, that nice high bank that they've got that looks down. Mm. A bit like at Risborough. Lisbon have got that, that type of thing, haven't they? Um, okay, so that's your favourite ground. Favourite bit of food. So where's the best bit of food that you've had at a, at a ground? Oh, so, well, three or four years ago, I, I went fully vegan. I, I went from... No! <laughs> it was a Veganuary that's got out of hand that I'm still doing it. So it was... <laughs> so, yeah, in the space of, like, five years ago, fully fledged, like, meat eater would eat... would order, like, the most meatiest thing on a menu to vegan so at the moment it's like forest green rovers is somewhere yeah. that you can get everything vegan you know and so probably forest otherwise it's chips is about your only option um and this you know you get good non-league chips um but yeah I've, bill's bill's diner at Cheshire united do good chips um but i yeah forest green rovers probably forest green right lovely that's where we're going to leave unless you've got another question rich no, no. Yeah. Ollie, thank you so much. Thank you so yeah. much for coming on. Um, you know, we wanted to get you on because non-league guys love you. All right. So <laughs> stop thinking no uh, less of you. Yeah, like no one cares because everyone does. And like I say, if my chairman puts something in the group, I'll go, well, I'll wait until Ollie tweets it before I even believe it. And that's coming from my chairman who talks to the leagues. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Thank you so much, mate. Um, very strange that we didn't realise you lived in the same town of us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Hopefully we'll but, see you down at Drink Corinthians soon. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And a little invite onto the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We'd like to plug this podcast, to be honest, Ollie. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, that's that's great, mate. Um, thank you so much. Massive really appreciate thanks for coming it. on. No, my absolute pleasure. No. I really really enjoyed it. I hope, hope I was vaguely interesting. I mean, you know, nowhere near the um, <laughs> prestige of some of your other guests. But um, yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's the whole, whole point of it, mate, to, to get different angles of football, different areas of football. So we wanted to do different parts and you obviously come from a broadcasting background. So we wanted to bring that up, really. But thanks very much. Appreciate it. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Cheers, Cheers Ollie. Well, that was brilliant, Jambo. Um, every bit as interesting I thought he would be, even though he would deny it, which he did multiple times. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, 
excellent character. Uh, knows his stuff about non-league, definitely. Um, brilliant guest, as I expected. I'm hoping the listeners will will agree with us. Um, and hopefully, <laughs> with his 41-odd thousand followers, hopefully uh, he, he can give us some retweets. Yeah, look, I, I, when we first started this, it, Ollie was sort of one of the um, people that I wanted to get on because, like, like he will allude to, it, that he obviously got a bit uh, more followers due to the pandemic because there's obviously clubs and stuff are wanting to know what he knows within his industry. He has contacts to to the politicians. He has contacts to the professionals and, and you know, DCMS and stuff like that. So, and the FA. Um, so he's always front line for that breaking news. And, and like he said in that, he said, people just want to know when they're playing football again. And um, he said, that's kind of why I'm, quite popular at the moment it's because of that um but he was always popular before that i felt you know obviously not as popular as now but i still think he'll remain hugely popular after the pandemic is, is I agree, yeah. back. um because people are interested in now interested in the various leagues and clubs he's, he's tweeting about it's not just grassroots that he tweets about he tweets about non-league as in steps three to six three to six and mm. one to two and and you know the you know conference below and into the southern leagues and stuff like that so you know he, he still uh has a, a huge part to play for non-league football you know and we spoke about maybe there be something down the line as a sort of non-league highlight show and mm. you know will it get broadcast and i have no doubt that if they if they want someone that knows non-league football ollie will be a part of that I agree, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, look, it was just very interesting. It was interesting to know about commentary. I mean, obviously, we all, <laughs> we've all commentated on a game of FIFA or something like that. Um, <laughs> but um, when when he said how difficult it was, and it, it kind of, remember, you, you, you feel like you're talking to yourself, mm. I would have thought, because, you know, and he is right. It probably is more difficult at a League Two, League One standard where the players aren't instantly recognisable uh, as they are in the Premier League. So, you know, they've got to be super on their game. Um, and and that's just really, really, really interesting to know. Um, so if you are on Twitter and you're not following Ollie Bayliss um, and you are interested in non-league football, if you're one of the non 45,000 people that, you, that doesn't follow him. Um, his Twitter is Ollie underscore Bayliss, B-A-Y-L-I-S-S. Um, and, and you can, he'll tweet lots of stuff throughout the day to do with non-league football from all over the UK. Um, and keep everyone up to date on, on everything non-league. Um, and we've all, he's also got his um, weekend non-league show on a Sunday, which is mid-morning on a Sunday, uh, where he'll talk to managers from Bedfordshire, Berkshire, Buckinghamshire and Hertfordshire um, um, uh, about the weekend action and obviously things that are going on in the pandemic and and stuff to do with their clubs, um, which is really interesting as well. So we'd like to thank Ollie for coming on. Appreciate it. And that's been Yeah. Um, and that's been another episode of the Hit in the Areas podcast with me, Jamie Roberts, and 
me big rich until next time yes mate till next time Thank you.